0: Broadcasting from atop the Hensler Financial Building in the heart of Georgia's financial district, Kennesaw, Georgia. This is Money Talks.
1: All right, we're back with Money Talks. You trusted resource for your money, your future, your life. I am producer Kelly Lynn. I'm here with Jacob Keene, uh, CFA, correct?
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: you got, you hello, got that hello. CFA for, well, you've had it for what, two years now?
2: Oh, I mean... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you're
1: like, no, don't ask me these Close. questions. Close,
2: yeah, something like that. <laughs>
1: Michael, certified financial planner, certificate. Yes, ma'am. And Jim Crone, our director of insurance planning. You have a clue. I do. And you're a so. fund specialist, aren't you?
3: That's right. I'm going to use people. Troy's.
1: I'm going to use Troy's like cheesy, yeah. uh, cheesy jokes that we're talking to, to a man with a clue.
3: -hmm. I get it.
1: So, what is is a clue? That's a chartered
3: life underwriter. Um, I spent a good amount of time and a good amount of money to to get that clue. And uh, (laughs) the hope is it pays off, not just for me, but for the folks we work with. But we'll see.
1: Yes. Okay. And certified fund specialist?
3: Yes. Fund specialist. That just says I. um, I not only have fun, but I can at least talk at a high level about different <laughs> things that happen at a, at a mutual funds and the impact that they have. It has a lot more to do with uh, how funds work inside of life insurance options mm, that are definitely. maybe there for variable annuities or variable lives. Look, at! It. I have
4: to give the insurance yeah. guy credit for making a joke. I mean, you know, life insurance is not really <laughs> hey. funny, but, you know, I i mean, that was funny, Jim. Was good.
1: Jim's a good, he's, sure. he's got his he's got it together. I, I, I sure. appreciate it. We're going to move on. We're, I've got a situation here for Jim. He's going to talk about um, Leslie and Howard uh, married with three children, two who are at near college age, uh, 16 and 18. Uh, they have a life insurance in place for Howard as the breadwinner of the family. If he were to die, the policy would still allow Leslie to stay in the family home and the two younger kids could complete college with minimal to low student debt. Kind of what you would want, you know, a life insurance policy to cover. Um, Howard um, won't consider retiring until the kids are out of college. But he was recently informed that his life policy was sold to a private equity firm. Mm. Now he's concerned about the payout should something happen. Jim, what is going on in the life insurance industry? Well,
3: the the high-level detail is that uh, the fundamentals of life insurance uh, policies have shifted, and you can actually go back probably to the years of, say, 2008, 2009, when you can see a pretty stark shock to the system relative to interest rates. And so, for the last call it uh, ten plus years, um the environment for the insurance companies um, has really shifted the ground underneath, and they now have to uh, deal with a whole different set of circumstances. And so the result is, uh, so uh, you know the story that we're seeing here with um, with Howard and Leslie in particular, it's honestly, it's not an uncommon thing. And there were some articles that just came out recently in the Wall Street Journal highlighting some of those shifts that we see. I mean, I, I've been dealing with these issues with these clients that make these calls. You know, uh, hey, XYZ was the company I did a lot of due diligence on. You know, I put my trust in that company. I have, a, a in one case, a 30-year term, another case, a permanent policy. Um, what the heck Uh, everything's now shifted and and you now have some new entrants into the marketplace and um, we can dive deeper into uh, some of the underpinnings of what to do but bottom line is uh, first thing we like to talk about is just being aware Mm -hmm. Um, likely what happens here is there's a notification that the client gets in the mail and upon that we like to say that's when you should start to uh, contact your agent, contact your advisor, contact someone who can give you um, a lot more detail about who it is that now purchases that po- that block of business or that specific policy.
1: I know, yeah. Jacob, you had some some interest in the private equity firms. Well,
3: I mean, just sort of top
2: level. I mean, basically what we're talking about is investment yields are down. I mean, if you're a life insurer. Absolutely. You're taking in premiums. You got to make money off the premiums you're taking in. And
1: they usually... If
2: yields are down...
1: Invest in something very stable like bonds.
2: Right. And they want to sort of match the profile. So, right. longer-term bonds. And, I, I mean, we're talking today, the 10-year the yield's up 20 bips this week, but it's still at 1.5%.
1: <laughs> and if you look at, like, <laughs>
2: investment-grade corporate debt, it's a similar story. I mean, the, the spreads in corporate side are pretty tight, too, so hard to get yield. So I think part of why you're seeing beyond the fact that strategically a lot of these diversified um, financial companies are trying to offload their life insurance assets just because they're not as profitable as mm-hmm. they used to be. I think the reason you're seeing the private equity tie-in and it's one of the things that we've been exploring for our clients a bit is looking at the, the options in the private debt market. So mm-hmm. you're seeing companies like Carlisle and KKR Take on some of these life insurance assets because they can capture that illiquidity premium in these private credit um, assets mm-hmm. and generate mm-hmm. higher yields. So, if you look at like a, a corporate bond right now, like an Apple 30 year bond might right. yield, you know, 2.5%. Whereas you can go to private debt markets and probably double that yield mm-hmm. um, and still probably close to match the risk. I mean, I there is gonna, a risk uh, yeah. that these private equity firms are taking more exactly. risk yeah, than the legacy companies. And maybe that's something you can speak to, um, Jim?
3: Yeah, certainly. Sure. Well, the one that hit the uh, market uh, most recently was Principal. So, Principal is a very well diversified insurance company. They make their products. They have made their product. They're 100-year-old, but they've made their product lines across uh, annuities, life insurance, disability insurance. Uh, you can even venture into other aspects of what they do in terms of 401k space and, and other things. Uh, but most recently, they did say, um, hey, we're done. We're, we're, not, we're no longer offering new contracts for policyholders. I think that went into effect, or actually it probably will go into effect maybe tomorrow, October 1st, mm. uh, or sometime here soon. Uh, It's important to recognize that when an announcement like that happens in the market, um, it's very important to realize that's for future business, right? It has nothing to do with the policies they have on the books, and that's probably the first thing to make sure a client understands. If we hear something or they hear something, oh, my gosh, principals leaving the market, what does that mean? Well, for the client who bought their term policy, their disability policy or their life policy, One year ago, five, 10, 20, 50 years ago, it frankly has no effect. And currently, now, if if down the road a decision is made by principal that they actually do want to offload or sell those policies, you know, that's going to be a different decision somewhere down the road. Um, We began to see some of the effect of what was happening today. Uh, About eight or nine years ago, we began to see first in the annuity space. There were blocks of annuity companies that first made their announcement they were no longer writing new contracts, and then several years later there was a new announcement from that same company uh, that they were going to be selling their block to a different. Uh, like you point out, Jason, these uh, Jacob, these um, these these other other entities that can do that in a heck of a lot more um, margin-friendly space for them. Compared to where these insurance companies are. Right, it is to deal where, with.
2: it's where they have that expertise too. So exactly. the only yeah. area of the market you can really get decent yield right now, um, outside of taking a lot of risk, like in really junk credits, is in the right. private is on the private side. Um, where that's right. In in one thing that makes those products unique as well, beyond the illiquidity, is um, a lot of them are floating rate, too. So Absolutely. they're less sensitive to... Because it's one thing to say, if you're a life insurer, I, I want interest rates to go higher so I can get a higher yield. But mm-hmm. your bonds are valued based on what yield they generate. Okay. So if interest rates go up, you're actually losing value on the price of your bond That's as right. that happens. So a lot of unique <laughs> characteristics there. But as yeah. as far as considerations for someone that this happens to... Uh, sure. I mean. Uh, what do you What do you think, Jim?
3: Yeah, well, I I think I mean we talk a lot, maybe not so much driven on this particular issue, but we talk a lot about a policy review, and this is really probably one of those things that has not been at the fore of the policy review only because when a policy was purchased, it's been it's historically you know uh, it, you have the same company. Uh, But this is now weaving into that conversation. So the policy review, um, obviously, if a client gets a notification like we have in this particular example before that Kelly Lynn was talking about, that's a clear indication that we really want to dive deep on who is the uh, owner of that policy now and who's going to ultimately pay that death benefit. And looking into this over the last 10 plus years, uh, there are some clear differentiators Uh, There are some that do well, and then there are some um, who have purchased that and it's characterized in the market as sort of a runoff, meaning specific more to annuities. It has more to do with what they apply in terms of the future rates. But in terms of life insurance, it's very important to recognize the states regulate this. And so anybody who purchases a block of business it can't be just some willy-nilly, you know, fly-by-night organization. You have to have regulatory approval at every state before that policy can be um, sold from company A to company B. So I guess it's very important to recognize that um, the deep pockets of these, um, these uh, purchasers, uh, will be more than sufficient, and they have to reserve accordingly, and they have to do all the things that the original company had to do. Um, it's just that uh, uh, maybe one of the best companies that we've seen ha- ha- start down this road was a company that began as a, uh, a third party entering into the market, A Athene started in 2009, and, and they now – not only have bought up blocks of business, but they have emerged to now offer their new contracts to some policy owners. And quite frankly, they're one of the uh, annuity leaders. But um, the bottom line is it just means that this needs to be taken as a new way to bring uh, a policy review to the table uh, to to help a client get through these details.
1: And Jacob, you had a question right before we went to break about
2: the worst yeah. Case yeah. What if it all goes pear-shaped? I mean, has it happened before? <laughs> you know,
1: doom and gloom here. Yeah. Make us yeah, feel better, well, Jim.
3: <laughs> it's a legitimate concern. It's legitimate because it's the real one that every college, every policyholder is saying, what the heck, I, I'm paying these premiums. I want to be sure that something's going to come on the benefit side, right?" Um, and the first thing to think about is you do have underlying guarantees most of the time inside of a policy, there's a contractual guarantee relative to the death benefit and the premium. So for example, term insurance. Most of the ones that we sell in today's market are locked in, in terms of a guarantee by premium and a guarantee by death benefit. If that happens to be a policy that is eventually sold to a new company, those underlying guarantees don't change. They're there, they were there at policy from XYZ, and they're there from the new purchaser as well. Um, but. You know, there have been situations historically where companies would ultimately, um, because of mismatches in, in, in their portfolios, they go upside down. Um, and it is important to recognize that there is a state guarantee fund that operates a lot, like it's in the insurance industry, but it operates a lot like the FDIC does for banks. And if the in the event of a failed entity there is a backstop, and in this case, each state has their own regulatory framework. So for example, in the state of Georgia, there is $300,000, which is backed up and guaranteed by the state that if something happens to a company, uh, regardless, as long as a client's paid their premium, they're gonna get a minimum of their policy value, at least in the form of 300,000. But bigger than that, uh, if you have a higher volume volume of policy, uh, what I have seen happen in the the course of history of uh, almost 30 years I've been doing this, um, a big company will typically come in and just buy up assets um, so that there's no negative effect to an existing policyholder. If it happens that we're talking about a company that's sort of too big to be taken over, it might be taken over in blocks by different companies, different larger companies. And so there are some some backstops that sort of come into play to help a client get comfortable. And those are things that when we talk about a policy review, we'll be sure to to point out once we get to that place. But
4: but you brought up 300000 So, I mean, you know, a lot of these term policies are a million, million and a half, $2 million dollars. And you're talking right. about the backstop being three hundred thousand. I mean, I know that's yeah. supposed to make people feel better, but that's also a, a little concerning. I mean, everything else you said, you know, makes me feel good about the chances. Of this likelihood of, of this happening are, are, are slim to nil, really. You know, based on the yeah. current market we're in right now. But I mean, three hundred thousand that made me feel warm and fuzzy.
3: Well, that's a true statement, but it's also important to recognize that. In the space, and Jacob, you could probably speak into this, but the cash flow that comes out of term policies specifically, uh, the, frankly, the payout, the death benefit that um, is attributed to a term policy happens probably less than 5% of the time. So many times, these purchasers of these policies, when they look at the term insurance block, they're looking at it like just cash flow because they know... Uh, from an actuarial standpoint, there's a small percentage of those policies that actually get paid out. So right. Right. It, 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 when you put those pieces together, it's not as if um, it's not a unprofitable business for it. It's just what does the company do once they get the cash flow that's meaningful for you know why these companies are now selling from company A to company B.
2: Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. It, something obscure would have to happen outside of the cause for the insolvency to be outside of what's actually on the balance sheet for the life insurance,
3: right? Yeah, absolutely. So So it would have to be a
2: a financial company that's not just doing life insurance. They're doing other things and they get in the weeds on the other side and they don't have money to pay across the board. So, right. That's right. It, it, and in that scenario, what I'm understanding Jim saying is another insurer would come in and buy the insurance policies off that balance sheet um, absolutely, and leave the rest of the toxic stuff alone. Um,
3: absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, as insurance companies have figured out this stuff can be profitable. They've been doing it for over 100 years. Um And it's not because the fundamentals of life insurance have changed. It's just that where the net uh, investments are going to present yield has changed. That's the shift that's occurred. So fundamentals of life insurance uh, have been there for 100-plus years. They'll likely be there for a lot more. I will say statistically – Uh, because of the pandemic, there are a lot more people thinking about life insurance. Mm -hmm. And that's now causing a lot more flow, cash flow, in terms of new premiums come in. Um, And that's frankly why when we talk about a new policy, uh, it is one of the things that we think about. We go to those companies who are being innovative on on product evolutions, right? Term insurance has been term insurance for however long it's been out there. Permanent insurance. We like to talk about the kind of things that allow the company to uh, help them mitigate their risk, and some of that sometimes is called an index universal life. And we don't have enough time really to dive into nuances of that. But we see a lot of product innovation, and that's a clear signal to us that uh, we're working with companies who view this as a view as a as a very positive uh, development for them, how they book business and how they see it going forward. So
4: absolutely. I mean, as you said, Jim, I mean, you know, the people, you know, more people are coming in to the insurance market. You and I have talked recently, the past couple of weeks about right. some young people coming in buying term right. insurance. You know, I, I don't mind saying on the radio, I have a term policy. I got it when I had my my infant yeah. child. I certainly yep. hope that um I don't die in the next twenty years. Um you I know, hope you don't die either. Thank you, Kelly yeah. Lynn. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh but you know, statistically I I probably shouldn't, you know, so then I've paid those premiums for, for nothing, but I'm sitting here yeah. right now hoping that I pay those premiums for nothing. Right. So
3: But it's the it's the planner in you that did it, right? It's the Absolutely. planner in you that made sure that your family was well taken care of for that godforsaken event.
4: So. Absolutely. hundred percent. I didn't want to leave my wife or my, my baby girl in a pickle if something were to, to happen to me. Right. So.
1: Yeah. So if any of our listeners have had this, you know, these letters saying that their policies have been sold, could Jim, you could actually help, uh, help people with reviews and
3: yeah, kind of totally. take a look uh, at that. You know, the, the uh, historical, um, the, uh, the, the kind of agencies that evaluate companies, they're still doing it, right? Uh, ambest Standard mm-hmm. and Poor's, Fitch, you know, they're doing it for the policyholders that have been around for 100 plus years. And they're also doing those same type of analysis on these new entrants. And so those are probably one of the first things we would look at is the ratings. Um, but it's, it's, it's not to say that the ratings themselves are the only indicator for why a company uh, is gonna still be around to pay a death benefit. Um, you know, it's just, uh, we, we, we have different tools that allow us to, to look at these things. Um, and frankly, sometimes the policy should be changed not so much because the company that's backing it up, but because of the fundamentals of the client. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, it may be that we need to add a long-term care component or do something different. And that just affords us the opportunity to put all these things together into one process that eventually helps the client uh, match their uh, their planning objective.
4: Absolutely. You've helped me with that quite a few times with different people over the years. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, thank you, Jim. I greatly appreciate you coming on and you know helping us out with this uh, this case study here. You are listening to Money Talks, your trusted resource for your money, your future, your life.